There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. This is a jungle. A monument built by nature honoring disuse. Commemorating a few years of nature being left to its own devices. But it's another kind of jungle. The kind that comes in the aftermath of man's battles against himself. Hardly an important battle, not a Gettysburg or a Marne or an Iwo Jima. More like one insignificant corner patch in the crazy quilt of combat. But it was enough to end the existence of this little city. It's been five years since a human being walked these streets. This is the first day of the sixth year, as man used to measure time. time perhaps a hundred years from now or sooner or perhaps it's already happened two million years ago the place the signposts are in english so that we may read them more easily but the place is the twilight zone all right guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema the twilight zone series season three debut right now i'm your host jimbo and I'm 80Z. Welcome, everyone. Happy New Year, Jimbo. Happy New Year, AE. And happy Happy New Year and happy new season for uh, the Twilight Zone for all you zoners out there. I'm pretty impressed that we're actually getting straight into season three. Usually we wade for about four or five months and disappear in the fifth dimension. Yeah, yeah that happens sometimes. Um, so let's just, you want to jump right in? Jump into right this? in. All right. Let's go. Episode number one of season three is called Two. It's entitled Two. It was directed by Montgomery Pittman, and it was written by Montgomery Pittman. And we got some featured music on this episode. There's a, probably a lot of music because there's very little dialogue, most of it by Charles Bronson, as you'll come to find out. Uh, the music, though, was uh, written by Nathan Van Cleve. Probably heard his name um, before. The original air date for this episode Right in television timing in the fall, September 15th, 1961. And that brings us to our most special segment in the program that we like to call On This Day in History. All right, for On This Day in Film and TV History for September the 15th, Jimbo, 1949, your favorite, The Lone Ranger, premieres on ABC TV, Hi-O Silver Away. Hey. Right, 1949. 19... And what was his sidekick's name? Uh, Tonto. Okay. Right? Make sure. Okay, yeah. You were scaring me there. <laughs> 1965, a series that we've heard many times probably already. 
while covering the Twilight Zone. The TV series Lost in Space premieres in 1965. And 1970, if we move about five years ahead, the DECA Awards, Bing Crosby, that's Bing, B-I-N-G, Crosby, a second platinum disc for selling 300 million records. I didn't know he sold that many. That's a lot. Was Uh, that a Christmas CD? Doesn't say. Just says platinum disc for selling 300 million records. Probably included the Christmas uh, records, for sure, because there's, I think he did at least two that I know of. 1971, let's move a year ahead. The first broadcast of Columbo, starring Peter Falk, who will make an appearance in this season three on one of the episodes. I can't remember what episode it is, but uh, Peter Falk. Columbo, 1971. And then, finally, in more recent times, in 2019, Norman Lear, who was 97 at the time, who just recently passed away within the last, I think, month or so, he becomes the oldest person to win an Emmy Award at the age of 97 in a variety special category for ABC's live, in front of a studio audience version of All in the Family. Did you ever see that? I never saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they had a live. All in the Family, yes, but not yeah, the live exactly. version. Yeah, exactly. I didn't see the live version. So that concludes your On This Day in TV and Film History, and it looks like it's mostly film and music for uh, this particular day that I came up with. So with that being said, let me give you a few more um, info some more info regarding this episode. The total production cost for this episode was $44,943.23. So our production cost is down quite a bit uh, in this episode. And when we adjust that for inflation in today's $2024, it looks like $461,331.09. It's still a steal if you could do an episode for $461,000 it's probably not even possible today our dates of rehearsal were as follows May 11th 12th of 1961 and our days of filming May 15th 16th and 17th of 1961 so two days for rehearsal one day of filming and let me just give you a little bit of trivia about the breakdown of the filming days all right so the first two days of filming were devoted to the street scenes in this episode and the interior of the barbershop and kitchen um it was filmed on stage five at hal roach studios on the third day of filming uh was mostly done in the recruiting office and the exterior of the theater they were filmed there as well as the remaining street scenes on lot three Uh, making this episode uh, this is Elizabeth Montgomery I'm quoting here she says making this episode was creepy Uh, she played the role of the woman soldier I couldn't help but think what it would be like if I went around the corner and there actually wasn't anyone there nothing but rubble grass growing in the streets and debris of a, a dead human race so there you go there's your days of rehearsal and filming and some preliminary info so jimbo please tell us about this very short cast Uh, yeah i mean i i mean i don't want to take the whole time of this episode (laughs) to do this but yes there is only three people in this episode uh first we have elizabeth montgomery who plays the woman uh we never get her name um most everybody's going to remember for the little tv show where she played samantha on Bewitched oh, yeah. from 1964. Did you like Bewitched? Were you a fan of the Bewitched? You know, I used to watch it in the summertime when they were doing reruns during the day. It, it was okay. Some yeah. of the episodes were pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, of course, her counterpart in this, uh, Charles Bronson, a man that he's, he's known as The Man in this episode. <laughs> um, 
which, of course, most people remember him for the Death Wish series from 1974, <laughs> where he's the vigilante killer with the killer mustache. Um, but I liked him in Magnificent Seven from yeah. 1960. But my personal favorite that he did was The Great Escape, the yeah. World War II, where he, I think his name was Danny, where he died in yeah. digging the tunnels the, under the concentration the, the, camp. The uh, digging rat or something like yeah. that. That's what they call Tunnel rat. Yeah, yeah. Tunnel rat. Yeah. And then, of course, we had the great Rod Serling, um, of course, doing himself uh, and the little commercials he did <laughs> throughout season three, I guess, now. Right. Yeah, boy. Charles Bronson. <laughs> Such range. Every movie plays the same character. I'll talk about that in my questions and observations at the end, but it's literally the same character and everything. Yeah. So let's talk about a plot for this uh, episode. In a futuristic world, a man and a woman from opposing sides in a devastating war meet in a deserted city. They don't share a common language, and she is quite wary of her opponent, though he doesn't appear aggressive in any way. Let me hold up. Hold up. Let me start right there. He literally he knocks her out punches cold. punches her out. He's dude. not aggressive. I didn't write this plot, by the way. This is taken from IMDb, full disclosure. But, uh, yeah, they apparently need to go back and watch uh, the episode. When she attempts to kill him, he goes off on his own, and it's obvious that society and civilization has been destroyed and she begins to reconsider. So that's a small plot line for this episode. <clears throat> we'll launch right into the episode. And I always ask Jimbo anything, anything you want to insert here in the well, beginning let me just, stages uh, of the episode. Let me go to another one of my trusty sources for. Let me read a little bit about what Elizabeth Montgomery and them had said, and also um, a little backstory about this. So two was the third season opener was both written and directed by Montgomery Pittman, uh, 1920 to 1964. He didn't live very long. A man whose talents in both departments were considerable. His first assignment on the Twilight Zone had been directing, Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? But it was two that demonstrated the full range of his abilities. Born in Louisiana and raised in Oklahoma, Pittman had a wide variety of experiences before becoming a director. As a teenager, he joined a traveling medicine show with his older brother. Eventually, his travels took him to New York, where he became an actor associating with the likes of Marlon Brando and Steve Cochran. Arriving in California in 1949, he decided to forsake acting for writing. He wrote several films, including a script, which he's uncredited for, Antonini's The Second Grido. Uh, In television, his credits include Schlitz Playhouse of Stars, where he met Buck Houghton. Finally exasperated by the way in which his scripts have been mangled by incompetent directors, Pittman turned to directing in order to ensure that his work would get from his brain to the screen with the least amount of muddle. Man, I love that paragraph. That's great. Hmm. And two, Pittman gives us an optimistic tell set in an extremely bleak world. The time is presumably after World War III. The setting, a devastated town inhabited only by the dead, with the exception of two enemy soldiers. It is fairly clearly that Bronson represents an American soldier and Montgomery a Russian. In fact, her single line is procrastiny, a Russian for pretty. This is a gritty and realistic story of survival told with minimum of dialogue, yet with the emphasis always on characterization. Quote, we shot it at the old Hal Roach studio where it was standing, Houghton continues. It had weeds in the street, theater marquee letters hanging sideways, and we didn't have to do hardly a thing to it. <laughs> at MGM, we'd have to put up our own weeds and tear up our own windows and everything. This was an old backlot street that was about to be torn down, plowed under. And two, the characters go against the stereotype. It is Bronson, broad and muscular, with a face like an eroded cliff. Who is the pacifist? <laughs> Montgomery is the one who is suspiciously and quick to violent action. 
Those who remember her from Bewitched might be shocked by her appearance, her long brown hair, smudged face, pretty in a peasantish way, but not at all the glamour girl. Liz Montgomery at the time was so dedicated to her art, Montgomery Pittman's widow Marita recalls, most girls want to look really pretty for their camera. Monty had to fight her, really, because she wanted to make her eyes really black. She got too much makeup on. She was making herself too haggard. Montgomery's dedication to the role shows it was not an easy part by any means. You find yourself reacting to the things you never reacted to before, she said at the time. You find it difficult not to exaggerate every look, every action. You think nobody will notice you unless you ham it up. You have to underpay every or underplay every scene in this uh, in a play of this type. But I must say, I never enjoyed doing a show as much as I did too. Hmm. So, wow! Um, I like how they didn't have to really do anything to the set. It was already yeah. done. Just the back lot that was going to be torn down anyway. I think it's in my trivia, and I'll get to it. But like, I think it hung around for like another two years before they actually destroyed, oh, destroyed it. it. <laughs> it wow! Like, yeah, really, uh, really made for this episode. Apparently, so l- let me jump right into the. Uh, the episode itself um first part of the we we actually start with rod's narration right off the top and this is a quote from his narration of course i'll put it in in the uh the episode as well it says it's been five years since any human being has walked these streets so it's very uh yeah it just like it looks like a doomsday apocalyptic type setting right off the bat um the woman i'm gonna called woman and man characters here because they, they're not given names of so the woman emerges first uh, in this backdrop of destruction and then a quick pan if you remember the, the, there's a quick pan to rods well he starts out just his voiceover and then the quick pan of the camera and he finishes his narration on camera um so really act one we start with the woman character who like i said emerges first she wanders around these ruins of this bombed out town right and uh she looks in shop windows and crossing over downed power lines and stuff so pretty dangerous you notice like she's stepping over the power lines yeah is there any electric stuff there well i mean i guess not to take a chance i noticed that too like to make just to not you know (laughs) to play it safe i guess that there might still be some power left uh somewhere um but she ended up wandering into the kitchen of an old destroyed restaurant, right? And then we, she grabs a big can, one of those big, like, I don't know, one-gallon cans. Looks like a Crisco can. Yeah, Crisco exactly. Can. And we find out later that it, I thought that was weird, too. Like, the chicken, it had chicken wings in it. or Chicken legs, yeah. Chicken legs. And you put it in a can. I don't know. I guess that was a thing back then. I can't imagine. I can't imagine eating that. Oh, if you're hungry enough, if you're hungry, yeah, exactly. And by the way, which she plays that up really well, like later in the episode, like when, well, we'll get there in a second, but she plays the the fact that she's starving very they well. They both were, I think. Yeah. So she finds an old can of chicken and like struggles to open it, and then here comes the controversy in Act Two. The man character walks in, and she immediately attacks him by throwing pots and pans and anything she can get her hands on, right? Throw it at him. And then she she actually jumps on him, and then there's a struggle. He strikes her in the face and knocks her out, and she literally falls to the ground. Uh, it's it's a, it's pretty violent actually. And then he takes her food right and starts okay. eating the can of chicken. All right, here we go. First first issue I have. Number one, she's struggling to open this can. She doesn't have a can opener, right? No can opener. Right. She's trying to beat banging it on, the, it on the side of the table. He comes right. and he just twists the lid. Yeah. Well, have you noticed that? Yeah, I'd have to go back. I really didn't pay attention. 
yeah, yeah. you just twist the lid and I'm like this is ridiculous yeah. because I mean I under, I mean it's crazy it really is yeah he gets it open right away doesn't he so he as he opens the can of chicken uh, he starts to wander around the kitchen right and then he looks at a a calendar with the, well first he picks up a newspaper I think and kind of reads the old headlines. Well, he, he takes the can of chicken and he starts walking around the town. Yeah, well, he inside the the kitchen there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're coming to the part where you just referenced where he like he just oh it just, <laughs> just pills yeah. right off. <laughs> it even flies a off. The lid flies off. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, one of those things where she loosens it yeah, up exactly. for him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She loosens it up for him. Exactly. So he he looks at a pinup calendar girl uh, on the wall. Uh, he uncovers. Well, it looks like a bird cage and the the remnants of the skeleton of a, a bird that was in the bird cage, and then he wanders from the restaurant out onto the street. Uh, then he must have a a strike of uh, con- a twinge of conscience or something because he, after he sort of wanders on the street a little bit, he comes back in because uh, the woman is knocked out on the floor. I mean, she's pretty much dead. Looks dead. Or at least, you know, I don't know. But so he comes back in after he's on the street for a while, and then he tends to her, right? And for well, first let me back up. He checks her gun holster and finds some like personal belongings, like, like a Bobby picture, pins. some yeah, some Bobby, Bobby pins. Yeah. There's no gun in the holster, and then he decides the way he's going to tend to her <laughs> in reviving her is to dump a big bucket of. Or a pot of water on But I think first then he set like the chicken box down next to her. Yeah, and then he shares the food with her after she is revived. Uh, he dumps that pot of water on her to revive her, so to speak. <laughs> and we're at the the wandering on the street part here, so um then after that after she's revived we we really move on to act three and sort of get the resolution part of the well, episode. a couple things stick out to me right here. Yep. First off, when she first comes out and she's wandering the streets, like at the very beginning of the episode, she passes a like a uh, military vehicle. Uh-huh. And as she looks around and she's looking around, I think she, shows, she looks at the marquee sign of the theater. If you look in the truck, there is a skeleton hand hanging out oh, the side really? of the hand. Yes. I missed that. It's like from his. It's like it's like facing this way, hanging oh. down. Yeah, I thought it was weeds at first. <laughs> I had to go back and double check, but it, oh. it was really cool. So. Um, I don't know what happened there, but obviously there is skeleton still there. Oh wow! Second yeah, I thing I second thing I've noticed is if you've noticed when he gets done eating his chicken wing, mm-hmm. what's he do? He just tosses it. What does she do? She throws it in the she trash puts can, a, right? her bone back into the can and puts uh, it in the trash can. Yeah. So what's that tell the, you? The difference between men, men and, and women. women. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice little detail. Sure. Um, so Act Three kind of starts off. Uh, they end up uh, after he revives. He goes back. We're in that part now where he's going back in. And he's going to revive her, and then he sort of kind of walks away after he feels like he's done his due diligence. I guess Gave her doing food. the right thing and yeah, giving her food. So he wanders into a barber shop, and she eventually follows him. And the man starts to shave. What What is this obsession in the 1960s with, here you are, you're the last man on earth, you're in an apocalyptic situation, and he's got a little stubble, and he just has to shave his stubble off well, the barbershop. It doesn't even look like he hasn't even shaved, but maybe since, like, yesterday. Yeah, it's not even, like, a long 
Grizzly Adams beard or anything. It just looks like a little stubble. Uh, which that, I'll get to that part in the goofs section. But anyway, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So so they go into the barbershop, right? He starts to shave. And she comes in very sheepishly. Um, yeah, and then... He is shaving. He throws her like a bar of soap, and she washes her well, face. Well, she comes in with a knife, a machete or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she has it in her belt, right. And uh, you're right. Um, so after they do that, she's she's still not convinced. I mean, if you just got knocked out, I'd be a little bit hesitant, too, about rolling with this guy. Like, you don't know what he's going to do next. You don't right. know what he's capable well, of. Well, they are sworn enemies. You can tell by the different yeah, uniforms. Exactly. So that is the enemy. So she has every right to be... Yep, here... Yeah, here's the part where she puts <laughs> the bone back like into the can <laughs> and then puts it in the trash can. Um, but after they leave the barbershop, they're sort of walking together, and this is where she sees the um, dress. Wait, or is there a dialogue? Yeah, there's. this is where, I think it's seven minutes into this episode, I read, that's when the first bit of dialogue starts. You can tell that the man is, he, he wants to make, he's declaring peace, right? No I, more war. I wrote it down. The okay. first words are after over nine minutes. It was oh, like nine, nine minutes. minutes and eight seconds. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and he he obviously was a participant in a World War Three. This is obviously in the Cold War era, so we're just going to go but with here's, that. But here's something. If you remember what Rod says at the beginning of the episode, he said, it could happen in the near future, or it could have happened 200 million years ago. Yeah. So you don't really know, is this the start of man or the ending of man? Mm, okay. Kind of like Adam and Eve vibes, I guess. Yeah, that's what I have at the end. The, the My observations is sort of an Adam and Eve type story uh, in that regard. But, um, yeah, they're, we're still in the barbershop scene here where they're cleaning up, and she's wetting her hair and washing her face and getting... He, throws her the man throws her a towel but the, you know he kind of gives his philosophy on war he he's done with it he's declaring peace for the whole world he might be there might be the only man and woman on earth but he, he he's obviously un was an unwilling participant i'm gonna go out on the limb and say in this war like he he's done like with he it got it's, drafted it's worn him down after five yeah after these five years you know he's just just happy barely to be alive and um, so after again after they leave the barbershop uh, she sees the dress in the window and this is uh, the woman's only line which is procrasny and Jimbo I think you alluded to this earlier in your reading and it just means pretty in Russian and um, so the man ends up breaking the glass to the store window storefront window and he tells her to put the dress on. Put it on. Does he even have to break the window? Don't he just walk through it? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. But I'm skipping over a few parts. They they passed like an old Bond out like movie theater and stuff on their way to viewing the dress. So I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I like how he grabs the coins and he just throws them in the air because they're worthless now. Yeah. And uh, so from there, once, well, this is where it gets interesting, right? Because she goes into the recruitment office. No, no, no. Here at the movie theater, um, they're looking at the furlough romance, and he looks over, and he sees a skeleton with a rifle on it. Oh, And he runs over right. and grabs a rifle. Well, See, she I'm runs the other way, and there's another skeleton with another rifle on it, and they both grab yeah, it, they and they point and both it. guns at each other. Yeah. Right. So that's a very important part. Yeah, exactly. For a moment there, they slip back into their, you know, their War battle stations. Right. 
right? And they are the sworn enemies of one another. But have you yeah. noticed the pictures of the posters in the background? The furlough romance. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that's crazy. You know, right. it's a romance. You know that that the movie, the furlough romance, is the one being played, and here these two are. Yeah. Yeah, I left some parts off here. So now we're really kind of in Act 3. They open up back in that movie theater ticket area. And then I'll just skip ahead a little bit for sake of the, the podcast here. And So she she gets the dress. She goes in the recruitment office. And she, uh, well, she has second thoughts, really. She was going to put the dress on. But then she sees all of the uh, the posters hanging on the wall with the headline "Enemy of Our Troops," and it reminded her of her place in the war. I, I guess really, she just kind of like flashed back. To let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. This is this is where I start having a problem with this. Okay, he threw the dress at her phone, told her to put it on. Okay, when she goes, she hasn't left him out of her sight even just a few minutes ago when she grabbed the gun and aimed it at him. If you watch, she goes to the, the recruitment office and she keeps looking out the window. And mm-hmm. then she pulls down the blind all the way where mm-hmm. he can't see Tells him to go across the street. I, yeah, but I don't think... Uh, no, he, well, he, yeah, but I don't think she would take his her eyes off of him like this. Oh, okay. To change into a close. You're sworn enemy. After everything she just went through, I don't think she's just going to... Even though he showed her an act of kindness by throwing the dress, throwing the dress at her, <laughs> yeah, let's not forget. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good observation. I hadn't noticed that either. Um. But while in the the office, she, again, I guess she has, like, second thoughts. She just very abruptly goes outside and takes her weapon, and it's a cool laser weapon. It's a futuristic weapon and fires it across the street at the man soldier. And he, like, looks bewildered, like, why would you turn on me? Did she actually skim his face? Yeah, I think there's, like, like a a little little burn burn. mark in the later stages of the later scenes. But, hey, if she's somebody that's fighting for me... I don't want her on my team. She can't even <laughs> shoot somebody. So, yeah, um, she shoots at him. He looks bewildered, and then he sort of just walks away. And then uh, the next scene, we get to, like, a rainstorm comes in, and we see that the woman soldier is spending the night alone back in the, uh, the barbershop. barbershop. Yeah. And then the next day emerges, and uh, the man is in – he's, like, in civilian clothes. It looks like he's rummaged around and – Piece together like a it's like a, a, a handkerchief it's with a no suit, shirt no and shirt. a suit jacket. Just, it's like really <laughs> and a, uh, a folded handkerchief <laughs> in the pocket. <laughs> I don't know. And the, and it's, it's a new like set area too because it, the bottom of the steps. He's on like the second floor of a building, and it looks like the sign on the bottom says like tires or something like a tire yeah. shop. But the woman approaches and sees him up there, and he tells her, "Go away, get away!" Like. He thinks she's come back to do battle again. Um, but she steps out from behind this military truck. It might be the same truck that you saw earlier. Um, but it, and it's revealed when she steps out from behind the military vehicle that she's wearing the pretty dress from the store window. And then they look at each other, and, and then they look in each other's eyes. It's kind of funny. She's got this really pretty dress on with this utility belt with a big knife. Stuck in in the front of it, and, and notice how he has two cans of like peach, peaches yeah, something, and he, he tosses one to her. What if she would have dropped? What is that? he wearing? Like that looks like he's about to do a show on Broadway or something. It looks like if Fred from Scooby Doo was shirtless <laughs> with just his ascot on. I don't know, but that's kind of funny. I mean, what are you going to do? They're the last two people on earth. They got to whatever they got. 
So they look in each other's eyes, and then the woman finally, for the first time in the episode, she smiles. And with that great Elizabeth Montgomery smile, and then they well, turn and walk together. Well, I was going to say, shoulder. the whole episode, she's following behind him, like, at probably a good five feet or right. so. And then... They walk um, together. She's got her combat boots on under the dress, yeah. too. Yeah. But, you know, she, she runs up next to him, and um, that's when they just turn to look at each other. I'm like, they're not going to kiss, are they? They're not going to kiss. And she just looks and gives him a smile, and he smiles back, and away they walk. And you hear Rod say, this is a love story. And then it's like over, and I'm like... This ends a love story only found in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah, give me a break. (laughs) Wow. I thought season two had some bangers. This one just can can go right straight to the trash can. (laughs) All right, let's run through a little (laughs) trivia for this episode, and we'll, we'll waste Bennett, I guess, for you. Uh, Prokrasny, if I get that word right, uh, we already talked about that, Russian for pretty, in an attempt to make their world seem futuristic to the viewer in 1961, there is a sign in the barbershop showing a haircut uh, with a cost of $5. What are, I wonder what a haircut well, costs in 1961. Well, it said, it said $5 for a haircut and $4 for a shave. Yeah, so that would have been futuristic prices, so I'm, maybe it was like $3 or $2 in 19... I know in high school... This is the mid '90s. I'm dating myself. I only paid like seven or eight bucks but you, for hair. But you got to remember what Rod said at the beginning of the episode. Uh, what did he say? He said that the signs and everything are in English to make you understand better. So this could be an alien race, and that might not even be humans. Yeah. So that that five dollars in ours could be two bits to the <laughs> alien race. Wow, you you're will. really going down the... Well, I'm just saying. I mean, you got to take the whole episode as a whole. Okay. Well, I was just looking at it from strictly a... When's the last time you paid $5 for a haircut? Oh, I, w- I never, probably. <laughs> I mean, like I said, mid-90s, I paid seven or eight bucks. And that was a long time That was ago. before tip. Yeah. So it was like, around, I was, you know, an even ten bucks. All right, so Howl Road Studios in Culver City, California, excuse me, provided the crew with the cheap filming since the neglected studio appeared as damaged as their script called for a war-torn landscape. We talked about that already. Jimbo did. The writer-director of Montgomery Pittman wanted to cast Sherry Jackson, who happened to be his stepdaughter, wow. as the woman. A little nepotism there, maybe? Uh, but the network executive said that at age 19, she was too young. So the role eventually went to Elizabeth Montgomery, who was age 29. The jacket, pants, and boots of the male soldier's uniform are of Confederate origin. The swirls uh, up his arm are usually found in Confederate general uniforms. Uh, This was likely a budget-saving move since MGM Studios had a large storage of costumes. The female soldier's uniform is supposed to be Russian. Um, this is kind of funny. Charles Bronson of Lithuanian descent portrayed the American soldier, while Elizabeth Montgomery, an American actress, portrayed the Russian soldier. So in today, they would be canceled for cultural appropriation, right? <laughs> they couldn't do that now. So each um, played their opposite role there, kind of. Aside from Rod Serling's introduction, there is no spoken dialogue until about nine minutes of the episode. Um... One of only four Twilight Zones, uh, four Twilight Zone episodes that exclusively use, aside from Rod Serling, only two on-screen actors. I won't go down the list. I mean, if the list was shorter, that might be interesting, but there are four episodes with only two. I mean, so what? (laughs) Um, 
The Derelict Cinema has posters in the foyer. This was interesting, I thought. Uh, you know, in the outside the cinema, the ticket booth area. Uh, the cinema posters in the foyer advertising the fictional film Furlough mm-hmm. Romance. The female actress depicted in the posters appears to be Shirley Temple as a young woman. Hmm. I'd have to go back and really look at that. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, according to an inter-office memo dated March 8, 1961, The Grave was originally going to be the season opener for season three, followed by The Obsolete Man for the second week, but the schedule was revised. Uh, let me skip. Uh, th- well, I'll just give you... The- this is CBS's uh, press release uh, prior to the episode. It says, Featured Elizabeth Montgomery speaking only one word of dialogue, co-stars with Charles Bronson in an episode entitled Two on the Twilight Zone Friday, September 15th. Two is a tale of a ragged, raggedy uniform combatants, uh, sole survivors of a world holocaust. The story pits a wild, unkempt, but basically very pretty girl against a roughneck whose nicer instincts have vanished in the five years that have elapsed since the world conflagration. Conflagration. I don't know if I'm saying that word correctly. Configuration. Uh, C-O-N-F-L-A-G-R-A-T-I-O-N. When their first meeting occurs in the ruins of an old restaurant, deep-seated animosity and hatred spill over into a vicious fight. Now these two meet the challenge of making their personal peace. Neither speaking the other's language provides the climax for this unusual story, which was written and directed by Montgomery Pittman and produced by Buck Houghton. So there's your there's your little advertisement, if you will, to promo the little promo to promo uh, episode one. Right. Uh, you want to hear some goofs? Bring it on. All right. You look like you're bored over there. Well, I mean, that, it's just like I'm watching you this episode get, again. <laughs> you want to get to the questions? No, get to the goofs. Let's go. The goofs. Give me so, some more stuff. I don't know if these goofs really, I mean, sometimes they're kind of flimsy. Like where you see a microphone hanging from the show. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on, guys. These are really nerd, nerded out zoners here. Uh, her hair is wet when entering the barbershop. When she flees from it shortly afterwards, it's dry. Okay, it's well, semi-dry, but she it's had still a, towel. a little bit wet. Come on. Yeah, she had a towel. Uh, the announcer mentions that it has been five years since anyone has been in town. Now, this is a good one. But food in the restaurant has remained edible. Water, this is more importantly, water is still standing in kettles. Now, wouldn't that water, like, get nasty and gross and get they, they didn't drink the water. fungus? And, yeah, but it's still sitting water, like, for five years. Like Are you pond. saying it never rained there? No, what I'm saying, like, okay, listen. The water basins inside the... If there was water inside the basins inside the barbershop, that water would get nasty and scummy if it sat for five years. Like, you know what I'm saying? But you don't know how long it's been. It says five years. There's there's no one there. There's no one there to run the water through. You can't just but I thought Rod said still could, standing water for five years and then, and still be usable to like drink and to you know you wouldn't want to wash your face and clothes or whatever. <clears throat> if you've been out in the jungle for wherever they've been for five years and you came across this, I would take a I would strip down naked and take a bath. I that realize scene. that, but the water's not going to be pure. For like, especially not for drinking. What do you think you drink today? You think the water out of your faucet's pure? 
I'm not drinking scum water from a pond. You, you live by Eagle Creek. Don't tell me that it's scum water. Out of a sink, and I'm not going to put it on my face. All right. So I thought that was a good piece of uh, interesting goofs. They, they should have. Well, they go on and say the newspaper left outside exposed to the elements are undamaged by the rain. But I thought they did a, man, a fairly manageable job of making the newspapers look faded and well at least the the, the top rain. one was really but when he moved that weight off the top of the one the yeah. other ones were fine which i was trying to find a date on the newspaper to see if that could give us any yeah, i didn't, see, I didn't see one though but the water one yeah that one that one's I, yeah i don't that's a fairly decent goof all how right long, finally how long was that chicken in a can good for i don't know how long, how like long spam good for do you know Probably forever. I'm not so concerned about the stuff that's in like metal sealed cans. Yeah, that's probably you're going to be okay. You might get a little sick, but it, it it's fairly edible. But the water's a big one. Anyway, finally, when Elizabeth Montgomery shoots at Charles Bronson in the street, you can clearly see that her rifle is capped and incapable of firing any projectile. Okay, whoop de doo. You discovered that it's it's. A, but it's then an ag- episode of TV. But then again, if you have laser rifles... Yeah, it's the, not going to come out there. Well, yeah, what or the laser is, might come what out. What I'm saying is the technology in their sinks could better where it purifies the water. Oh, here we go. Up. You're really stretching. Really, really stretching. <laughs> or it's a completely alien planet where... It could be. Uh, water doesn't taint. Yeah. I, I all mean, right. True. I mean, I how's, guess... I have another question then. If you're going to go how's to those all, links to try to prove how, yourself How right. is all the weeds and all them growing all over the place? Well, just because it's... You have to have some water somewhere. Okay. So it'd be different if they drank rainwater. How do you know it's not rainwater? Inside of a barbershop? Was there a roof on the barbershop? Oh, boy. You're really... You're not going to give up on this. The windows? All right. I'm just saying, these goofs... I even preface this by saying some of them are kind of flimsy. But that one... That one kind of makes sense to me. But anyway, moving along to questions and observations, I'll let you go first. Well... What's your thoughts? Well, you really you ready for my thoughts? Because shoot me, man! This, I'll shoot me with that laser I, gun. I, I'll, with I'll, your I'll, thoughts. I'll leave with this. This is the worst episode of season three so far. <laughs> Duh! Uh, uh, great. Um, I mean, I just don't understand. I don't understand how she can be at somebody's throat, ironing him, and then all of a sudden, oh, he threw. Number one, he knocked me out. Somebody knocks me out, and two minutes later, we're not I'm, friends. No, we'll never be friends. <laughs> I mean, maybe eventually, but we're never going to be. And then you throw a dress. He doesn't hand it. He throws the dress at her, right? That's the problem. Like, I'm going back. I talked about this. Charles Bronson, the guy, he plays, he's Roughly. one lane. Right. He has no, I mean, just one one role where he expands his role out of the tough guy, machismo, hardened you know, you know what I was do. waiting for him to do? I was waiting for him to find a pack of cigarettes and just strike a match on his beard and this and <laughs> yeah, light it up. Like- but um, Elizabeth Montgomery, I mean, she she has so many like black makeup on. She looked like she was a, a zombie from The Walking Dead. Um, they're saying it's dirt. I mean, I, does she not have a black eye from where he belted her? No, she's got two. I mean, he knocked <laughs> can't her. can't tell. He knocked, he knocked her out, dude. <laughs> All and, right, but hold on. Let me interrupt you here. If you were the last man on earth... And a 29-year-old Elizabeth Montgomery walks up to you. You're going to surrender immediately, right? <laughs> why do you Why do you think that when he looked at the calendar and the girl in the bikini, and then he looks at her like, oh, guess woman. what? She is one of them. Me like woman. <laughs> Me like bikini. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just, it was just over the top for me. I mean, granted, 
we've seen some pretty really bad Twilight Zone episodes, okay? Mr. Dingle the Strong, uh, Mr. Beavis, Bemis, whatever his name was. Uh, what was that one that you just absolutely hated? Uh, the, the one with um, Cloris Leachman from The Invaders from last season. Yeah. Head and shoulders above this episode. And that was only a solo actor. Mm. Mm. No, don't start. Um, I guess one of the problems is I have is if if you were going to make this rod where um, you were going to make it like a World War Three. Don't use a language like Russian versus the American. Don't make them look like Americans and Russians. Use something that's not understandable, like he would have no idea what she's saying or whatever. You know, make it, make up a word instead of protagonizing or antagonizing U.S. and Russia for World War Three as he's already started. Well, that's yeah. And why does she likes- have that patch on her back? I don't know. That, that's is it like a bull <laughs> shoot shoot here? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I did not care for this episode at all. I had no feelings for him. I, you know, she kept falling. Then she shoots at him. I would have knocked her out again. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, she, that's self-defense there. First time, it's on him. You know. Technically, she started the fight, too, by throwing the stuff and at Beating him with a pot and pan yeah. and all that, right. Uh, but, I mean, you still don't knock him out. Nah, no, no. I mean, he, he was a brute, man. He could have tied her up or something. apocalyptic world. Right. World, I would have ate all the chicken. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't, I was going to look up, I didn't look up, but I was going to look up how long it takes a bird to become a skeleton because when they opened the cage, they were still there now, but then they say if an atomic, here's two things to consider. If they say it was an atomic bomb or whatever going off mm-hmm. and it just shredded them straight to skeletons, mm-hmm. five years is not going to be long enough for the radiation to mm-hmm. subside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm so, there's that question. I don't know. I, that, yeah. That's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, um, if I'm rating this, what do you think IMDb rated it? You know what? I think. But what is it? Uh, what do you? Think? I would say. I have it. I will say think? a seven five is probably what yep, they rated. You're exactly right. For me, I think the title fits appropriately. Two is what we're going to give this a two. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. All right. You, you, and do you want my prop you piece? You do you want my prop piece? Yeah, while, I'm, yeah. while I'm going ahead on my rant, I will take the can of chicken. Without, <laughs> no, without the chicken, just the can. You know, wash it up and have it like put coins in or something okay. for the future. That would <laughs> be right. cool. Or one of those furlough uh, honeymoon posters. posters. Yeah, I think yeah. those would be cool too. Cool. So that's my two cents worth, if you all will. All right. I think you put four cents in on this one, but all right. I, I liked it. Of course you did. It's an Adam and Eve story that emerges out of the Cold War era, and, you know, it was a battle to trust one another. Okay, it's Adam and Eve, but guess what? They can't procreate because they're running around in radiation. Yeah, well, you got to suspend some reality here in the Twilight Zone for all this to to make sense. Rod even said that he was kind of worn down. He'd written, like, over half the episodes. Maybe this one wasn't the greatest. Rod, Well, don't don't be smart. Are you ready? I love Rod. You know I love Rod, but Rod... I've been at my job now for over 15 years. Eric's pushing on 30. Guess what? There's days we don't want to go to work and do our job, but guess what? We go and do it to the best of our abilities. You laid down, Rob. You sold out for cigarette commercials. <laughs> P.S. You get paid millions of dollars to do it. <laughs> this is true. So I can't be bad at him, but I'm just saying I expected more. Yeah. I like I the, think, okay. I like the episode. Would, it was it, okay. would this have been better as an hour-long episode for season four? I, I don't know. I, I couldn't answer that. There's no closure. I think it primarily, if looking back, 
it was a to highlight the actor and actress. They were probably fairly well known. Yeah, they would have been fairly well. Well, maybe Elizabeth Montgomery not so well known. She would get more well known in the late '60s with her television show. But uh, yeah, you know, it was okay. I liked it. It was a seven and a half. I'd probably give it a seven. Uh, my prop piece is going to be the laser gun. Of course, um, you'll put your eye out with that thing, kid. Yeah. <laughs> and Elizabeth Montgomery, even with lots of two black eyes and a messed up uniform, she's beautiful. You know, she's going to sell the show. You know, I see a theme. Which, well, I guess it skipped over. Season one, where is everybody? One person. Season three, episode one, two. So, are we going to have three people in the? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Three people in the episode of season four, episode one? We'll have to see. I don't know. Maybe there's a progression there. Maybe not. I think it was okay. It's not the worst. Again, it, I think it rides right in that middle ground area where a lot of Twilight Zone episodes ride. All right, Eric, let me ask you this question. All right. Let's wrap At the end of up. season three, is this going to make your top ten list? I don't know. We're not far enough in. You've already watched it all twice. Well, I know, but it was a while ago, so i got to rewatch them. I don't know if it'd make top ten. Well, I'll just have to wait and see. We got a long, long, long way to journey. Go. Yeah. You got anything else? <sighs> I mean, you, you take want, a nap you, after you this. Me, one. You want me to rant? You want me to rant some? I need sure, a go ahead. I need a bucket of chicken now. Is what I was say. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you like what you heard or you didn't hear, uh, if let you wanna, us know. Yeah, if you want to give us a review, we'll read it like we did in our previous episode. Um, if you would like to be a guest on the show, hit us up. We're we always glad to have guests in the fifth dimension. Uh, we just have to make a scheduled time to work out an episode to do with you. Um, if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast on Facebook. Join us. We have a bunch of fun on there, too. Um, we are planning, going to sh- start planning a live show or two for this year. I'm pretty excited about that. So, Eric... Any final thoughts for Season 3? No, I think we can exit the fifth dimension. All right. Well, with that said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. This has been a love story about two lonely people who found each other in the Twilight Zone.